Proverbs chapter 9, if you'd turn there, please. Proverbs chapter 9. This will be, I think, our 18th installment in the sermon series, Wisdom That Works. I intend to preach two messages out of Proverbs chapter 9, and then the actual proverbial literature starts in Proverbs chapter 10, the little concise tidbits of wisdom that, that Solomon gives his son. I don't know where God wants us to go once we end Proverbs 9, um, but uh, we will seek his direction on that, and uh, we might continue. We might go somewhere else for a little bit and come back, um, and then just as I continue uh, preaching in the pulpit here for years to come, we might continue to visit uh, Proverbs chapter 10 through 31 and, and kind of work on one chapter at a time in between different uh, expositional series, but I don't know what God wants us to do. We'll see. All I know is we got two messages in chapter 9. Here's what I want to do. I want to read the entire chapter. It's only 18 verses to give us a big picture view, and then I'll explain what we're going to do the next couple of weeks with it. Let's study together, beginning in verse 1. Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beast. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She has sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eateth my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish, and live. And go in the way of understanding. Now verses 7 through 10 are at first going to appear like they're out of place, but they're really not. He that reproveth a scorner giveth himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man giveth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. But if thou scornest, Thou alone shall bear it. Now that's the end of our text for tonight. And we just, we just witnessed wisdom's invitation to her banquet. Or her feast. Now we get to verse 13. It's a whole different, whole different thing. It's a different lady talking. A different invitation. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house. On a seat in the high places of the city. To call passengers who go right on their way. Whoso is simple let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. So Solomon, with one last effort to get his son Rehoboam to buy into wisdom and, and to prepare his heart for chapters 10 through 31, he gives him one more plea. To say yes to wisdom. And he does so by comparing two invitations. Two rivaling banquets. One is Lady Wisdom. And one is Lady Folly. Brother Jason Gaddis, a pastor at Southwest Baptist Church, puts it like this. Proverbs 9 reveals that two rival banquets have been prepared for us. Verses 1 through 12 talk about wisdom's feast. And I like this. While verses 13 through 18 talk about Folly's fast food. So the title of the message tonight is Wisdom's Feast. And next Sunday night, or the Sunday night after that rather, will be Folly's Fast Food. Let me pray with you. Father, help us now as we preach, as we listen. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm going to give you a couple of uh, pictures of food. And I, I, I want you to make a decision in your mind that if, a choice in your mind, if, if price wasn't an issue, which one of these would you choose? All right, here's the first. That's McDonald's, a Big Mac and large fries, and she's sipping on, no doubt, a Diet Coke. Here's the, here's the second. That, that's a porter, I think it's called porterhouse steak at Texas Roadhouse. Which one would you choose? <laughs> the kids are like, Mickey D's, <laughs> Happy Meal. <laughs> I think I heard some of the kids. Oh, those Barnes kids, I tell you what, bless them, Lord. <laughs> Help them. Their parents don't, I guess they don't ever take them to Texas Roadhouse. Here's another one. Taco Bell. That's a taco from Taco Bell. You could have that or you could have this. That's, that's the fajita trio from Abuelo's Mexican restaurant. It's one of my favorites. Which one would you choose? If cost wasn't an issue? Taco Bell. I'm going to stop asking out loud. You're ruining my illustration. Here's another one. Long John Silver's. And that, my friends, is why Long John Silver's is closed today. Because that is one plate of fried nastiness. Here's a better alternative. Red Lobster. You can go to Amarillo and get Fazoli's. Show that next picture. That's kind of a fast food Italian restaurant. That looks awesome, doesn't it? It's like my college cafeteria. Or you could get this, Olive Garden. Pretty good. In all four of those options, you had a choice between a feast and between fast food. And here's what's interesting, is that when it comes to a meal, we would almost automatically choose a feast. But when it comes to life, we often choose folly's fast food over wisdom's feast. And here's the thing about these two rival banquets. They have both been prepared for you. But you can't possibly attend both of them. And the reason I say that is because both of them are scheduled at the same time. Both meals, both banquets are, are scheduled at the same time, your lifetime. And so you've got to choose between one or the other. They are both crying out. They are both inviting you. They are both setting the table. And it's your choice. Last week, we looked at all of chapter 8, and we talked about 10 reasons for why we should, should say yes to wisdom's invitation, with the big idea being this, when wisdom invites, say yes. And now we're going to build on that thought, but dig a little deeper in chapter 9. We're not going to talk about why you should say yes to wisdom's invitation or wisdom's banquet. We're going to talk about what causes a person to say yes. What type of person says yes to wisdom and no to folly? In fact, the, the big question of the text is simply this. What determines a person's response to wisdom's invitation? That, 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 an, that question is answered in verse 7 through 12, but we've got to start where Solomon started in verse 1, where he makes the point that wisdom is preparing a banquet for you. Look at verse 1. She has builded her house. She hath hewn out seven pillars. Verse 2. She hath killed her beast. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. 
That word hewn just means she has carved up a house. So she's got seven pillars that is holding this house. And there's so many speculations as to what Solomon was getting at there. But something everybody agrees on is that the seven pillars represent that it's a large house. And that represents the fact that, that wisdom has a house big enough to hold everybody. She has prepared a meal. She's killed her beast. There's food on the table. She's seasoned her wine with honey and spices. She has arranged her table with the finest of China. Watch here. The idea with these metaphors is that Lady Wisdom is putting out a spread. It's a lavish banquet. When you dine at Wisdom's table, your soul and your life will for sure be nourished. It's as though Solomon is saying, it is our royal treat to live a life of wisdom. So, so how do we get in on Lady Wisdom's banquet? How do we get put on the invitation list if it's a royal tree? Well, look at verse 3. She has sent forth her maidens. She crieth upon the highest places of the city. So she's going to send forth people. She's going to send out her invitations. And here's the first people that she chooses to invite. The simple. Verse 4. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. If you're simple, you're automatically on Lady Wisdom's invitation list. Who is simple? The impressionable. The naive. You've got the wise, you've got the simple, and you've got the fool, or the scorner and the fool. The simple is caught in between choosing wisdom and choosing folly. I think Solomon put, singled out the, the simple because that's where his son was living. And that's where most teenage boys are living. Teenage girls are living. Unfortunately, some don't outgrow being simple. But, but they're, not living there be, be, they're not living there because they're stupid. It has nothing to do with intellect. It has everything to do with life experience. And so Lady Wisdom wants to get the attention of those that are kind of in between and very impressionable. She wants to get their attention before Lady Folly does. So if you're simple by way of age or life experience or whatever the case might be, then you automatically are invited to this banquet. But then there's two other conditions for being put on the Invitation list. Look at verse number four, the last part. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. So here's the first condition if you're not simple. I hope you're wise. And so you're not automatically on the list. Here's the first condition you've got to know you need it, you've got to want to understand, you've got to acknowledge. That you need wisdom. You know why? Because Lady Wisdom has no time for the unteachable. The only people that get to sit at Lady Wisdom's table are the ones that are there because they know they need to be there. And they want to be there. Which begs the question, do you realize tonight how badly you need wisdom? Are you the kind of person that is hungry for understanding and thirsty for prudence and longing for insight and discernment? Would wisdom's invitation make its way to your mailbox because she knows you want her and need her? Here's the next condition, verse 6. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. So watch, if you are going to get invited to Lady Wisdom's banquet... You must first say no to the foolish. You must first say no to Lady Folly's invitation. To forsake something means to totally abandon it. Okay? Solomon tells us 
that we had to forsake the foolish. Any influence that is not wise in our life. He's saying you had to say no to foolishness before you say yes to wisdom. And here's the problem. It's not that a lot of Christians don't want wisdom. They want it. They desire it. They want to sit at her table and eat and be nourished in their soul by wisdom. But they also want lady folly. And so here's what happens. They fill up on Folly's junk food. And when wisdom cries, they have no appetite to say yes. And parents, that's why you don't let your little kid eat dessert before their meat and vegetables. Because it ruins their appetite. And that's why Solomon said in Proverbs 27, 7, the full soul loatheth and honeycomb. In other words, you can get so full physically that the sweetest of foods has no appeal to you. And he wasn't teaching us a dietary lesson. He was using food as an analogy to teach us something about our soul, that we can be so full of the wrong things that we have no appetite for the right things. And if you want to be at Wisdom's banquet table, you cannot go through Folly's drive through you can't nibble on the world's food and in the sin's refrigerator and then go to wisdom's table expecting to want vegetables. And that's the problem with most Christians. If you ask them, do you want wisdom? Yes. Do you want to be invited to a banquet? Yes. But let me go get some Twinkies first from the world. You get what I'm saying? So you have to want it. You have to know you need it. And then you have to be willing to say no to what's less than wisdom in order to say yes to wisdom. Which brings the question, by the way, is there anything in your life right now you need to say no to that is ruining your appetite for what you should be saying yes to? Anything? Any foolish influence in your life that is stealing your godly appetite? An influence is anything you let into your heart by way of your ears and your eyes. That, that could be the advice of a friend. I'm amazed how many godly Christians listen more to an advice of a worldly peer that's not walking with God than they do the full counsel of Scripture. You have to say no to that in order to say yes to this. You know that music's not all moral, right? You, you, you get that it has an influence on you. And I understand that you might not feel it instantly, but what comes into your ears makes its way into your heart, and it's a compounding effect. And so one song after another song after another song, I'm talking about the world's music, okay? And you, 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 you eat that, and you eat that, and you eat that, and you eat that, and you wonder why you get bored when we sing worship songs. You have no appetite. And you have to say no to that kind of fast food junk so that you can say yes to Lady Wisdom's invitation. That's what she's getting across. It's not just wanting it, it's forsaking what she opposes. All right, so Solomon makes it clear. Wisdom's made preparation. And now he gets to the heart of the text. What is going to make you say yes? What is the type of person that sees the banquet table spread it out before you? 
the fine china, the great meat, all the nourishment Lady Wisdom promises. What's the kind of person that is going to say yes to that? Well, there are, there are two things that determine our response. In verses 7 through 9, here's the first. Your response to wisdom's invitation is determined by the type of person you are when you're corrected. At first this seems foreign, but it is so connected to wisdom. All right, look at verse 7. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. So reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. But rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Solomon mentions two types of people in these verses, the scorner and the wise. Whether or not you say yes or no to Lady Wisdom's invitation is determined by which one of the two kind of people you are. He talks about the scorner. That's the one that mocks and scoffs at wisdom. That can be outward scoffing and mocking, or watch, it can be in the heart. Don't think it's just somebody that just hates God on the outside. It could be someone that continually argues with scriptures, scriptural principles and counsel on the inside. A scoffer is one who refuses to listen, especially when they're being called out or challenged or confronted or corrected. In fact, he said they end up hating the one that corrects them. They hate it so much that they insult and ignore and shame and embarrass and harass and even physically attack, Solomon says, those who try to speak into their life. But he says a wise person loves the, love the people that rebuke them. It, he doesn't say they love rebuke or correction. But they love the person that speaks into their life. They're approachable, not defensive. They're humble, not arrogant. When you speak into the life of a wise person, guess what? They get wiser. They listen and they apply. They grow. Which begs the question, which one are you? I have a feeling if you're like me, you're going to automatically say you're not a scoffer. We give ourselves more credit than we should sometimes. I'm not talking down to you, but if you're like me, I read that and say, I'm not a scorner. No, I, no, no, I'm not a scoffer. Well, let me dig a little deeper, like the Holy Spirit dug a little deeper in my heart. Would your spouse describe you as approachable or defensive? How about your kids? Do they have to walk on eggshells around you? How about your parents, young people, college students? You appoint in your life where they can't even speak into your life without getting some type of response that's not good. In fact, let me just ask you this, whether you're a husband, father, mom, dad, kid, whatever. What is your default response in the home when you're confronted? When you're challenged? When you're called out on something? In love, but in a straightforward way. What is your default response? What do you naturally do in the moment? Is it even a culture in your home to talk about hard things? Is it a culture in your family at all? Or do you sweep everything under the rug? You never have a hard talk? Do you find yourself saying these things? Ah, we just don't talk to mom about that. Uh, hey, sweetheart, we don't, we, don't say, we, we don't bring that up around daddy. In other words, you're saying there are some people in our home that have scorner-like tendencies. And if you bring it up around them, 
you're going to receive to yourself a blocked. Are you with me? Would your boss describe you as teachable or stubborn at work? Teachable or stubborn? Do you always have a response to his correction? Always. Does your boss stay up at night wondering, how can I say this to this person and they not fly off the handle? Or how about this? How would your employees describe you? If you're a manager, if you're a supervisor, if you're a business owner, how about those you lead at work? If I interviewed them, would they say that you're easy to talk to? Easy to approach? Or do you seem to just, if not verbally, it's just the body language, it's the tone that says, don't even think about giving me your opinion. Or when you do, you listen, but it's feigned listening. You're doing it because it's your job, but nothing ever changes. How do you receive correction through the preaching of the word of God? Pastor preached so well on that this morning. Do you do like what James 1 says? Do you receive the word with, the engrafted word with meekness? Or do you receive it with an internal argument? I'm asking that when somebody approaches your life, with godly wisdom and counsel, are you more like a sponge or a defense attorney? We would never admit that we're scorners until we really dig down deep into these different layers of our life and different relationships of our life. And I'm not sure that we're as wise as we think we are. I'm not sure we're always the type of person that says yes to wisdom. Because it's not really our heart's desire. When someone counsels you, when you re receive counsel from somebody, do you, do you ask their opinion, but before you let them give it, you give them yours? So as to push them in the corner and dare them to disagree with you? Do you inform the godly people in your life of your decisions? Or do you ask them before you make decisions? It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be pastor. But the Bible does say in the multitude of counselors there's safety. So if you're skipping that step with the major decisions of your life, then you're not wise. And so that's... That's the first, first way we know. Are we the kind of person that is going to say yes if, if wisdom invites us to her banquet? We think we are, but are we really? Are we the type of person whose default response is, approach, is approachability and humility? Our defensiveness and arrogance and pride. When I first got married, I was the worst at this. I, I'm plagued by a passionate personality. I say that because it's my greatest strength and it's my greatest weakness. And it gets me in trouble and it helps me. <laughs> All at the same time. But where my passion works against me, especially around in my marriage, is when my wife would challenge me on something. And I, I, I'm telling you, it, I, I do have... 
not many things I can do well, but I can talk decently. And, and I think that, that if I wasn't a pastor, I would be a lawyer. And my wife is the totally opposite personality. She doesn't power up, she powers down. And so I figured out real quickly that when my wife loved me enough to help me see a blind spot in my life, all I had to do was power up. And she instantly stopped. Some people power down to get the, the counselor to stop. They play the victim. See, I power up, and then she powers down. Some people say, well, I guess I can never just do anything right. And you put the blame back on the one bringing it up to you. I know I'm walking among every row in the place tonight. But this is where we live. It's where we live. We give ourselves so much credit. Oh, yeah, I would say yes to ladies, Lady Wisdom's banquet. But Solomon says the only kind of person that says yes is not the kind of person that wants it. The kind of person that receives correction humbly. That's the kind of person. Because if you can receive correction, you're ready to be wise. All right, here's the second one. It's the kind of person that says yes. That is going to be determined by the type of relationship you have with the Lord. Put that up there, Kristen, if it's in your computer. Your response to wisdom's invitation is determined by the type of relationship you have with the Lord. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So we're, we're revisiting a theme again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That, is, that means the way you think of the Lord. Your reverence for Him. A holy fear. Your deep respect for the Lord. That's where all wisdom begins. Okay? And, 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 and at the very first message, chapter 1, verse 7, we, we, we were introduced to that theme. If you want wisdom, it begins with your relationship with the Lord. And it begins specifically with how you think of the Lord in, in, in respect and in reverence. And, and the concept of fearing the Lord can sometimes be so vague. And i got to be honest with you, it's very hard to preach specifically on. But, but in Isaiah 6, we're given a really good picture of it. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Can you imagine this? Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, this is Isaiah after seeing all of this, woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Watch this. He had a deep respect and reverence and fear of God when he saw the Lord for who the Lord really was. And we won't see the Lord in this kind of physical revelation until we die. But we have a full revelation of Scripture. And if you really want to, you can see all the attributes of God that he has given you to see. And the more you get to know him in the Bible, the greater you think of him. The greater you think of him, the more you fear him. The more you fear him, the more you live your life in wisdom. And then he builds on that principle in the last part of verse 10. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. 
So fearing God and respecting him, thinking about him in a high way is where wisdom starts. But knowing him is how you will continue to live a life of wisdom. One preacher said this, listen closely. You gain insight for living a holy life as you really get to know the Holy One. The more you live in a relationship with God, the more you live a life of wisdom. And it's true. Men, do you ever catch yourself saying some things that your dad said when you were little? <laughs> do you ever catch yourself doing some things that your dad did or whatever the case might be? I do. Specifically when I get mad, I say some of the same words my dad said when he got mad. I won't say those from the pulpit, of course. It's not full out cussing. I'm trying to outgrow the generational curse. But um, <laughs> ladies, do you, do you find yourself saying some things to your daughters that your mom said to you or your granddaughters? Or parenting in the same ways or whatever the case, even things you said you'd never say or do. You know why? Because you resemble the one that you respect the most. The one that was so impressionable on you like a parent, even a, even a mentor, are often the ones that we resemble without even trying. And he's saying, listen, when you get to know the Holy One more and more and more, here's what happens. You begin to resemble him. And so as you get to know the all-wise God, you begin to think a little more like God thinks. And you talk a little more like God would talk. And you respond to offenses a little more like God would respond to offenses. And that's what Solomon's getting at. Who's the type of person that, that, that would say yes to wisdom's banquet? It's the type of person that has a growing relationship with the Lord. It's not the kind of person that just wants to get smarter. Not the kind of person that just wants more Bible answers. It's not the kind of person where God is just a band-aid to them. In case of emergency type relationships. The kind of person that says yes to wisdom's invitation is the kind of person that finds himself in the word of God every day, praying every day, worshiping every time they can, serving wherever there's an opportunity. The kind of person that is getting to know the Holy One is the kind of person that wants to hang out with the Holy One and live for the Holy One and say yes to godly wisdom. So there's the answer to the big question of the text. It's the type of person that says yes to Lady Wisdom. It's simply the kind of person that responds to correction humbly and has a growing relationship with the Lord. And then he closes out with two verses. And it's, I mean, it's almost, he's just so repetitive like a dad would be. This is the same thing he said over and over. Look at verse 11 and 12. For by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. Look up here. He says like he said already. Son, listen. If you, if you say yes to Wisdom's banquet, your life will be good. Now remember, this is, a, this is a proverb. It's to be interpreted generally. This is generally how life works, because I know there are people that say yes to wisdom, and their life doesn't turn out good. Okay? This isn't a, this isn't a promise that you get to take personal ex expectation with, okay? You, you don't say, hey, but wait a second, I, I ate at wisdom's table, and yet I lost my job. God's a liar. Proverbs are to be interpreted generally. Here's what he's saying, son. Here's how life generally works. When you say yes to wisdom, life is good. In God's providence, he might bring some things into your life that aren't good, in your opinion. But so long as you're walking in wisdom, 
unless God's providence intervenes, every area of your life will prosper. A long life, quantity, and a good life, quality. Now go to verse 12. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. In other words, look up here, don't, don't zone out on me. You're only helping yourself when you eat at wisdom's table. This is for you, son. I know it'll help. It, it, it'll, it'll flow out of your life into others and help them too. But first, first and foremost, when you eat from wisdom's table, you are helping yourself. And the opposite is true as well. We're done. But if thou scornest, thou alone shall bear it. What does he mean by that? If you say no and you scorn wisdom, watch here, no one will bear those consequences for you. You will bear them. Others will be affected. But when you scorn wisdom, you are hurting yourself. Kevin learned this, my son. I have invited him. I've given him an invitation last week several times. Pick up your Lego, son. That's just wise. Pick up your stinking Lego. That should be in Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs 3.16. Pick up your Legos. Or you will step on them and scream. <laughs> he scorned my invitation. And then all of a sudden we hear him screaming. That's no exaggeration. He's crying. He said, what's happened? Of course, he's got an exaggerated limp like he just got shot in the middle of World War II. <laughs> I stepped on a Lego. Well, whose Lego is that? Stop, Dad. <laughs> it ain't my Lego. And this verse came to life. He scorned it, and he hurt himself with his own stinking Lego. And we're dealing with a lot more important things than stepping on a Lego. We're dealing with growing marriages, God-honoring finances, sexual purity, testimonies to the lost, healthy church. There are a lot more consequential things that happen if you scorn wisdom. You won't just hurt your foot. You hurt your life. So say yes. Be the type of person that will say yes when wisdom's invitation hits your mailbox. You'll never regret it. Eat from wisdom's feast. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.